We're going to start this episode with a threat. The threat comes from Adam Newman, the CEO of WeWork. And he was talking to Jamie Hodari, a guy who runs a smaller rival co-working space called Industrious. The two CEOs were considering doing a deal together. This was in 2017. And to talk it out, Adam invited Jamie to spend the day with him. They were going to fly to Atlanta to tour each other's offices. And Adam wanted to fly Jamie out on a private jet. I got the calendar invite from his assistant, and the plane was leaving from the Hamptons. And I explained that I don't live in the Hamptons. I live very far from the Hamptons in in Brooklyn, and I was just going to fly down commercially and, and meet them there. And we'd still have the whole day in Atlanta. And And she explained that Mr. Newman insists that you come out. So I had to take a, like, two-hour Uber ride or something, you know, to get to this 6 a.m. takeoff. And that definitely felt like a bit of a flex. So they're on this private jet. And at one point, Adam pulled Jamie aside for a private conversation. Maybe an hour in, he asked to sort of sit away from everyone else and talk one-on-one. And he said, look, I respect what you guys do. I I think you seem like a good guy. And as a result, I want to give you a heads up that, you know, if if coming out of the next few weeks, things don't go the way we work would like them to, I think he said, you know, I have 200 people waiting for a push of a button from me, and their job is going to be to bury your business. And what that'll mean is that we're going to give all of your customers a year free, and the ones that don't leave we'll give two years free, and the ones that don't leave, we'll give three years free until you don't have a single customer left and you will have lost the business that you spent the last five years building. Uh, that's intense. Jamie didn't know what to think. He says he felt a little scared, but he didn't know how seriously to take this threat. Because what Adam was describing would have been such an expensive move. In short, I didn't really believe him because what he described, again, would would mean they were almost by definition losing a lot of money on those customers. He said, well, you know, you should believe me and, and you're going to see that I'm not bluffing. You're listening to Foundering. I'm your host, Ellen Hewitt. And this week, we're talking about money, how WeWork was able to raise money, and some of the surprising things the company did with the cash, and whether having money, lots of money, affected WeWork's ability to see straight. From the moment the company was founded in 2010, WeWork had money to spend, not because it was turning a profit. In fact, it lost money, more and more every year. At its peak, WeWork lost almost $2 billion in one year. WeWork got its money from investors, large mutual funds and investment banks and venture capitalists, including Masayoshi Son. He's one of the biggest tech investors out there. And he often preached that when it comes to business, the crazier, the better. All these investors wanted to give WeWork cash in exchange for owning a slice of the company, which they hoped over time would become more and more valuable. By the way, WeWork and a representative for Adam Newman declined to comment on this episode. Now let's get back to the story of Jamie and Adam on the plane. According to Jamie, Adam made good on his threat. In a lot of markets, 
customers all of a sudden got bombarded with emails from dozens of different brokers saying, you know, they basically in certain ways, we were handed off the dirty work to a series of brokers who then went and advocated to our customers that they should be leaving us for WeWork. And, you know, for two, three, five days, you know, maybe a week, it seemed possible that there was all of a sudden going to be this just wave of customers exiting industrious, and it didn't happen. Jamie said WeWork's attack just didn't work. Not that many customers left industrious. When Jamie thinks back on that moment on the plane, he's struck by Adam's naked aggression. Even though Adam's plan didn't work, he was ready to go to such extreme lengths to take down a competitor. Jamie couldn't understand choosing to burn money that way. In 2016, it felt like WeWork could do no wrong. It was growing like mad. Venture capitalists were falling over themselves to try to get WeWork to take their investment. And all around Silicon Valley, you heard startups talking about how spending lots of money was the way to grow fast, to win against their rivals. Profits came later. Profits weren't sexy. I want to give you a glimpse into how venture capital works, how it turns traditional business sense upside down. With most small businesses, you want to be making a profit. Let's say you sell frozen bananas, and it costs $4 to make each one. That's the cost of the supplies, paying your employee, and rent for the banana stand. So you'd want to sell the banana for maybe $5. The first $4 covers all your expenses. Then you might have a dollar of profit. Now, let's say you're raising money from venture capitalists for your banana stand. That means something different. You've sold a slice of your business to the VC in exchange for cash. You now have a lot of cash. That's exciting. You can use it immediately to hire more banana sellers, buy more bananas, whatever you want. VCs want the companies they invest in to grow. They invested in you to become the biggest frozen banana seller in the market. Now you need to sell way more bananas in way more cities than your competitors and do it first. Instead of opening one banana stand next year, they want you to open 10. VCs care a lot about how many $5 bananas you can sell, so they may push you to expand to new markets, even if it costs more to hire someone or rent is more expensive. So it now costs you $6 to make a banana that you still sell for five. You're losing money on each banana you sell. That sounds like a dumb idea, but in this upside down world, it makes sense because you're still growing. You're selling more than you ever did, crowding out the competition, and cementing your name as the number one frozen banana seller. WeWork knew how to grow. It was growing 100% every year, which means it was doubling its business. We had plenty of demand. We were not signing real estate fast enough. As far as we knew, we were going to keep growing 100% until someone told us to stop. That's Dave Fano. He was WeWork's chief growth officer until he left in 2019. And he saw that the more WeWork locations they added, the harder it was to keep growing 100% year after year. It was harder, significantly harder to go from 500 to 1,000 than from 100 to 200. Just the amount of moving parts and pieces, because there's only so much available real estate in a given market. You got to get bigger blocks of real estate. You can't get 4 million square feet 40,000 square feet at a time. You got to start to sign leases that are 250,000 square feet. And those are more complex negotiations and they take longer. So there's just a lot of things that got 
like exponentially harder uh, as you got bigger and as you tried to keep doubling. To keep growing, WeWork was expanding into markets all over the world, even the ones where it seemed like it was losing money. Here's Jamie again. It was clear that London was a bad market for WeWork, and yet they kept doubling down there. So if you don't care if your units make any money, then one thing you can do is add a lot of units in London. Then maybe it's okay to rent space at $11 and go sell it for 10 over and over. WeWork may have been losing money, but that didn't stop the company from dominating the headlines. Adam's profile at the time was huge. He was hanging out with actors, going on TV, doing photo shoots for magazine covers. He was an incredibly visible CEO, where his personality became the company's personality. And as his fame grew, so did Adam's vision for WeWork. We want to help the world to self-actualize themselves. But here's the beauty. We have actually been given a permit from the world, from investors, from our members, from the universe, to actually have a chance to go and tackle this problem. That's Adam speaking at an all-hands meeting in mid-2016. You can hear him talking about how big and meaningful WeWork is going to be. It's not just work. It's about helping their members in every aspect of their lives to find happiness and to find themselves. That might explain some of the side hustles WeWork got into that seemed to have nothing to do with office rental. WeWork started planning We Live, which was an experiment in building communal apartments, kind of like adult dorms for millennials. WeWork had a grand plan of launching 30 locations in a year, but they only ever opened up two. But We Live was just the start. WeWork was rapidly trying new things, a lot of new things. It was getting a little out of control. Here's Adam at an all-hands meeting in 2016. We have 442 open projects that are in different categories that don't have anything to do with WeWork. Our buildings, our four-wall margin, the base of our brand. 442, that's a hell of a number. I'm personally set us on the path of a few projects that we're not qualified to do. Doesn't mean they couldn't have been cool. They could have been amazing. We just happened to not be qualified to do. He seemed aware that WeWork was losing focus. I want to tell you about some of WeWork's crazy expenses. Expenses that seem to have nothing to do with office space. And here's Jamie, recounting the time Adam told him about a recent WeWork investment. It was in a company called WaveGarden. Adam asked Jamie if he'd ever heard of it. Jamie said no. And so then he pulled out his phone and he he started playing this video. He made some phrase about how it makes waves. And I completely misunderstood what he meant. I thought he was talking about some construction technology company that metaphorically was making waves. It was doing big things in its industry. But then the video just kept showing people surfing. And at some point I was like, man, they are really taking this like wave metaphor really far. Like they have to explain what they do. And then there was a moment where I was like, oh my God. This isn't a metaphor. They literally make waves. Why are they buying this company? Yep, WeWork spent $13 million to buy almost half of a wave pool company. Later, a WeWork investor told me the rationale. He said that WeWork wanted to build huge corporate campuses and put wave pools in them. But to Jamie, the investment was baffling. It's like when people become really wealthy and all of a sudden they think that the McDonald's near the house where they grew up is better than the McDonald's in the city they currently live in and they have people fly the Big Mac over from their hometown McDonald's or something like, I don't know, 
I guess that's what rich people do, and I guess that's what rich companies do. WeWork had so much money, they were literally giving it away. They launched a pitch competition called the Creator Awards, where they handed out $20 million in prize money. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the 2018 Berlin Creator Awards. Amazing. Thank you Entrepreneurs pitched their startup ideas on stage to celebrity judges like Ashton Kutcher and P. Diddy. WeWork called the Creator Awards marketing events to help spread the word about their offices. They held them all over the world, in places like Tel Aviv, Austin, and Shanghai. When you do something that comes from the heart, when you bring it together with intention, magic happens. If you're a graphic designer, an accountant, an artist, a singer, or anything in between, you're a creator and you're a creator. And what does that mean? That means that we're part of something greater than ourselves. And it wasn't just Adam. Other execs also got caught up in the ability to spend freely. Here's Carl Pierre, a community manager in D.C. He's describing how he was instructed one night to find a last-minute helicopter or private plane for an executive. I had another WeWork employee communicates to me that an executive needed transportation immediately, ideally a helicopter from Washington, D.C. or a jet to get back to New York City. And no context, just told it was very important. I was calling my friends who are staffers to see if we could pay to borrow, uh, you know, a senator's plane or something crazy. I was going through every channel I knew. It was nuts. At the end of the day, it was almost like midnight, so I'm trying to find this. I had a good lead on a, on a, on a, on a helicopter. And then uh, it turns out particular WeWork executive just needed to get back to a party in, in New York. And that's the only reason why he wanted to, like, leave D.C. Again, around midnight, I found a good lead, and I was told, like, oh, yeah, you know, it looks like the party's about to be over anyway, so he's good. Yeah, I nearly lost my mind. So Adam's executives were willing to spend money in frivolous ways. And at the same time, Adam was stretching the truth about the company's financial position. Here he is at an all-hands meeting in 2016, telling employees that the business was profitable when it really wasn't. As opposed to other companies that you're reading about, we don't have any issues. We don't need to raise any more money. We're in an amazing place. We have a profitable business that's going to only get better, that's going to help us fulfill our calling and our mission. By shifting this culture, we're going to be able to not only keep doing these things, but do them 10 times better, move very strongly into positive cash flow, no need to rely on raising money, no need to rely on going public, no need to rely on anything except for ourselves and fulfill our mission for our members. And we're going to do it all of us together. He says here they have a profitable business. I can't tell if he's being sloppy or misleading when he's saying that. We now know that WeWork was losing money. In the tape, Adam is telling his employees that WeWork doesn't need to rely on raising money for the business to keep growing. But in just a few months, he'll turn around and raise $4.4 billion from a famous investor. And this decision will change the entire course of WeWork's trajectory. All of the company's impulses to do things that were more random, more grandiose, more expensive, they're about to be unleashed. We'll be right back. So before the break, we talked about how WeWork was about to raise money from a new investor. And apart from Adam, this investor is one of the most important people in the story of WeWork, Masayoshi Son. 
To explain who he is and why he's so important, I want to introduce a colleague of mine, Sarah McBride. Here's Sarah. I've been reporting on venture capital for the past few years, so I'm spending a lot of time on WeWork's biggest backer, SoftBank, plus the guy behind it, Masayoshi's son. But to many people, he's just known as Masa, like Cher or Madonna. Masa is a kingmaker in Silicon Valley, one of the most famous investors in the world, and one of the spendiest. He founded SoftBank when he was only 24 years old. It's grown into a giant investment company. In Japan, it's huge. It's bigger than Sony or Honda even. He uses his money to make big bets on others. He's best known for an investment he made in a Chinese internet company called Alibaba. At the time he first invested back in 2000, Alibaba was small. Nobody knew it would take off the way it did. Alibaba was founded by a guy named Jack Ma. He built it into kind of a souped-up version of Amazon, tailored for the Chinese market. Now, Alibaba's one of the most valuable companies anywhere. Jack Ma is an icon. Here's what's so interesting. When Masa talks about his famous big bet, about why he took a leap of faith and invested in Jack Ma so early, he doesn't talk about how smart Jack Ma seemed or how he'd come up with an original business plan. He talks about his charm, his ability to attract people to follow him. Well, he had no business plan <laughs> and uh, zero revenue. Uh, employees, maybe 35, 40 employees. But his eyes was very strong, strong eyes, strong, shining eyes. Um, I could tell from the way he talked, the way he looked at, he has a charisma, he has a leadership. He can bring you know, young uh, Chinese people following him. Now, if a young entrepreneur catches Masa's eye, he likes to tell them they remind him of Jack Ma or that he thinks they'll become the next Jack Ma. The entrepreneurs love it. It's the biggest compliment he could give. And it worked with Adam Newman, too. In fact, Adam told Fast Company magazine that he reminded Masa of Jack Ma. In 2017, SoftBank announced an investment fund that would be $100 billion dollars. It was a huge amount of money, way, way bigger than any venture fund. And when Masa began investing this money, it actually changed the way Silicon Valley works. In the old days, successful startups could count on raising tens of millions of dollars, depending on how they were doing. Now, venture capitalists were competing with SoftBank to invest in the best companies. So money started flying around, hundreds of millions sometimes even billions of dollars to one startup. And that's exactly what happened to WeWork. The story itself is pretty crazy. Masa had a meeting with Adam. He told Adam he would spend two hours at WeWork. But when he showed up, he said he had only 12 minutes. When it was time to go, he invited Adam to jump into the car with him. Adam pulled out his pitch deck because he wanted a big investment from SoftBank. Masa told him to put it away and took out an iPad. He drafted a rough investment agreement between them. They both signed then and there. 
That was late 2016. Adam still had a photo of the contract on his phone months later and showed it to a reporter from Forbes. He said it gave him goosebumps. Adam ended up getting a $4.4 billion investment from SoftBank the next year. With more to come, here's Adam on CNBC. It's a real partnership. And I think the longer we know each other, the more we can build it. And Musk is one of the most visionary investors in the world. Mm-hmm. He, I don't know if you know the story, but his initial decision to invest in WeWork took approximately 28 minutes, including when he got in, left, and drove in the car. Startup founders who work with Masa say he loves it when you think really big. He asks what you could do if you had several times more money than you're trying to raise, if funding was no limit. Then he gives you that cash and expects you to deliver. And the crazier you are, the better. He told me that if two equally smart entrepreneurs are duking it out, but one's also a little crazy, the crazy one will win every time. He even described what he called an animal smell between himself and other entrepreneurs. They can smell it, and he can smell it. It's primal. And it seems like Masa felt this connection with Adam. He kept showering money on WeWork. But within SoftBank, it was a really controversial investment. Some of Masa's lieutenants thought they were putting too much money into WeWork. And so did some of his investors. But Masa ignored them. He found ways to keep writing WeWork checks. That's because he believed that in the future, more and more people would move to co-working, exactly WeWork's business model. And he really believed in Adam. So Masa basically gives Adam as much money as he could spend. And Adam starts spending. And he doesn't have to be that careful because there's so much of it. If you talk to people inside WeWork, Many of them will say that the SoftBank investment was this turning point. WeWork had always been kind of freewheeling, somewhat kooky, with lofty ambitions. But after Masa wrote Adam a blank check and told him to be crazier, it felt like everything got dialed up. WeWork already had one side business, We Live, but it started branching out even more. It started a fitness boutique called Rise by We. And then there was We Grow, it's an elementary school. Rebecca and Adam have five young children together. Rebecca said in interviews that she couldn't find a school in Manhattan that was good enough for her oldest daughter. So they made their own. Here's Rebecca describing We Grow on a podcast called The School of Greatness. Once a week, they go to a local farm. Is that what they they do? They do. They spend one full day a week in nature, farming and just running and being and, you know, meditating in nature. Like farm animals, too, or is it just kind of There will be animals. There are not currently. um, But they plant seeds. They harvest their crops. They bring them back to the city. They run a farm stand at WeWork, and then they donate all of the proceeds to a nonprofit that they are actually personally involved in and invested in. She sounds like she has a very specific vision for the school. Tuition at WeGrow costs $42,000 a year. The interior was designed by a celebrity architect. WeWork came up with a way to explain why it was running a school. It said the school's mission was to unleash every human's superpowers. It kind of connects to WeWork's brand. But I spoke to one employee, Stephen Green, he remembers Adam being a bit more blunt in a speech at a company offsite explaining why they started WeGrow. So Adam explained that Rebecca had had a dream the night before, and in that dream, WeWork had a school. The next morning, 
Rebecca told him about the dream and he said, okay, we're going to start a school. No marketing analysis, you know, no, we're going to do some, some test groups. And that was simple as that. So on the one hand, you have WeWork, the company, branching out into seemingly unrelated businesses. But then there's also Adam's personal extravagances. WeWork bought a private jet for $60 million. It was a top-of-the-line Gulfstream G650. Adam took it for business and also on trips to Costa Rica and Hawaii, sometimes to go surfing. At summer camp, employees stayed in tents. But one ex-employee described Adam's summer camp lodging as a huge compound up on the hill, visible from the valley below. In his office in WeWork's headquarters, Adam added a secret back room that had a sauna and an ice bath. It became a piece of lore within the office. I never got to see it in person, but an ex-employee showed me photos once. The tub had a neon lightning bolt hanging over it. And I also heard a funny story. Someone told me the ice bath messed with the water pressure in the building so much that whenever Adam ran the bath, the office espresso machine stopped working. Meanwhile, WeWork kept investing. They acquired a marketing SEO company, a coding school. They invested in a superfoods company run by a pro surfer whom Adam admired and befriended. One former executive said that at the time, WeWork wanted to compare itself to Amazon, another company that expanded into seemingly disconnected business areas and didn't turn much of a profit. This person didn't want to be named, so here's someone reading what they told me. But of course Adam didn't know what to do with the school. He didn't know what to do with the gym. He didn't know what to do with residential things. We were buying companies for fun. It was just too much. Adam's focus seemed to go further and further afield, get pulled in different directions. As a manager of a business, you get given that amount of money, you can afford to dream very, very big. After the SoftBank investment in 2017, it seemed like Adam and Rebecca were deciding company policies based on their personal whims. Like WeWork's infamous meat ban, Sources told me that when Rebecca and Adam announced to their employees that WeWork would stop serving meat, it came as a surprise to the other company executives. Remember, this affects thousands of WeWork employees and members worldwide. The communications team had to quickly scramble to figure out a way to frame the decision to the public. They landed on an argument for sustainability, and they said the idea came from Miguel McKelvey, the other co-founder. Here's a clip from CBS. WeWork just released a memo to its 6,000 employees saying it won't pay for any meals that include red meat, poultry, or pork. According to Bloomberg, the company's co-founder, Miguel McKelvey, said in the company memo, new research indicates that avoiding meat is one of the biggest things an individual can do to reduce their personal environmental impact, even more than switching to a hybrid car. Just as an aside here, when most companies make a decision of this scale, they spend months deliberating over it. But my sources told me that this change happened with barely any warning and basically no business rationale. It almost feels like something you'd do if you wanted the company to be a reflection of yourself. And the company kept making other important decisions for seemingly personal reasons. In 2018, WeWork decided to raise money from bond investors. They initially said they wanted to raise $500 million, but at the last minute, they switched to $702 million. That's weird, I remember thinking at the time. 702 seemed like such a random number to pick. I asked WeWork why, and was only able to find out that 702 was a lucky number for the company. That's a surprising rationale for such a big decision, how much debt a company should take on. 
Later, I found out why the number was lucky. 702 is what you get when you multiply two numbers, 18 and 39. 18 is a good luck number in Judaism. And the day the bonds were sold, it was Adam's birthday. He was turning 39. Now, I want to take a huge step back, a two-year step back, and play for you some tape that really knocked me off my feet when I first heard it. It's from back in 2016, when WeWork was growing pretty quickly, but still before things really got amplified by SoftBank's billions. Here's Adam talking at an all-hands meeting, and he's trying to make an important point to his employees about the way WeWork spends money. What he's saying casts a really unexpected light on everything you've heard in the episode up until now. Now, if you think this company, I would say big, but has a little bit of a spending culture, raise your hand. I think so. It does, it does. For those of you who don't know, it does. It definitely does have a spending culture. We didn't used to be this way. We did not used to be this way. We used to fight for every dollar. We did not spend. We never outsourced. We first tried to solve a problem internally and then went to the outside world and said, hey, we can pay you to bring it. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't, but we were really good at watching our cash. He was saying that WeWork, even though it has all this money available to spend, was being way too careless with it. They were spending all over the place, without purpose. We've spent this whole episode describing how flashy and indulgent Adam became, especially after SoftBank's investment. But here he is, two years earlier, cautioning his employees to be conservative. He told them they were spending too much and that it was going to hurt their profits. He lectured them about how they should be managing the nickel. That meant noticing every time the company was wasting money, even on small things. As an example, he talked about a breakfast spread they ordered every Monday for an executive meeting. And in the morning, we would get breakfast, some salmon, some eggs, some bagels, some yogurt. And we've done this for a year. We've done this maybe for two years. And truth is, not a lot of, no one was really eating it. Adam estimated that the company was saving $300 a week by cutting this breakfast. And he used it as an example for his employees to look for other places to cut costs, even small ones. For example, how many times have you left this room and the lights were on? How many times? Every time when I've left this room, and I left this room a lot of times at 2 a.m., how many times have you seen our buildings with their lights on at 2 a.m.? Every time, and I love going to our buildings at 2 a.m. I was just in two buildings last week. And I want to hear from you. I want to start receiving notes. Lights are on at 2 o'clock. This is wasting money. This is wasting money. This is not smart. I don't accept this. This is my company. I have equity here. I don't want to be wasteful. I don't want to be wasteful also because we can do great things with the money. Who is this Adam Newman? How do you reconcile the Adam of 2016, who's trying to save on the electricity bill, with the Adam who's flying on a $60 million private jet? What's striking to me is his awareness of WeWork's out-of-control spending. He knew that it could hurt the company in the long run. So did he just forget his own warning? Or did he not believe his own message? If we can't ensure, as a minimum, to bring in more than we spend, that's an easy one. Everybody knows that much. Bring in more than you spend. Then all the dreams and all the hopes and everything we're all sitting on is not going to work as well as we thought. Only thing that can ruin this is if we don't get serious about controlling our bottom line, controlling our expenses, getting very focused and getting very clear. And he's saying that this is their only chance. They can't mess it up. 
And the universe does not allow waste. So if we show the universe for too long that we're wasteful, it will come back at us 10 times fold because that's how, at least how I believe the world works. And that's my experience of how the world works. When I think of us, the only thing that scares me is that in 10 years, when we look back, we will say that we missed the opportunity, that we did not take this thing to the full strength that we can take it. This tape is a really surprising glimpse into Adam's mind and how it seems like he changed over the years at WeWork. Back in 2016, he showed some pretty traditional business sense. But by 2018, he seemed to have thrown it out the window. Masa once said that the crazy man will always win in a fight against the smart man. And it seems that Adam became the crazy man that Masa wanted him to be. We know now that in the 10 years since WeWork was founded, it almost never turned a profit. In fact, in the years after Adam warned his company that they have to stop this spending culture, their spending culture only got spendier. And it'll keep getting huge. It'll become so extravagant, so head-scratching, that WeWork will become a symbol of startup excess, of CEOs given too much permission. Here's a part of his speech that I found particularly haunting. He's talking about other high-valuation companies that had raised billions of dollars and then wasted the money. He's using them as a cautionary tale. I don't know if you guys are reading or not reading, but a lot of our peers, who I never actually thought were our peers, but companies with high valuations who've raised a lot of money, some of them have been closing down, a lot of them have been firing 10 to 20% of their employees. I can promise you one thing about all of them. They all had a spending culture. And that spending culture led to lack of processes, lack of control, and at the end of the day, lack of money. And when lack of money comes and the world goes up, that's not a problem. But right now, the world's doing this, or maybe it's even doing this. Well, that's a different story. There are a lot of employees there now that thought they had equity that was worth one price, and now they're being told it's worth another. And now they're doing a down round. And let me tell you, they're going to do three more, if they're even going to stay in business. And it's going to be very difficult. The secret is to take care of it before it becomes a problem. Layoffs, down rounds, employees thinking that their equity was worth a lot one day, only to find it's worth very little the next. You could play this tape today and say it was about WeWork, and it would all be true. Adam was definitely right for what it's worth. WeWork did have a spending culture. In 2016, when he was warning against it, it was already in full force. Over the next few years, that spending culture would get more extreme. And all of these disastrous things that Adam is telling his employees are happening to their peers? They're about to hit WeWork in the face very soon. It was like he predicted it, years before his company spirals out of control. That's next time on Foundering. Foundering is hosted by me, Ellen Hewitt. Sean Wen is our executive producer. Maya Cueva is our associate producer. Ray Mondo mixed the show today. Special thanks to Sarah McBride, Mike Held, and Tucker Joseph. Mark Millian, Anne Vandermeer, and Alistair Barr are our story editors. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe. And if you like our show, leave a review. Most importantly, tell your friends. See you next time. Mm-hmm.